Well, welcome back and welcome back to this, our 58th show. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Francesca Albanese. Uh, Francesca Albanese is the new United Nations, to give her her full title, the new United Nations Special Rapporteur on the Situation for Human Rights in the Occupied Palestinian Territory. And she took over uh, the position uh, at the beginning of May. And uh, Francesca is also an affiliate scholar uh, at the Institute for the Study of International Migration at Georgetown University, Washington, the United States, and a senior advisor on migration and forced displacement for the think tank Arab Renaissance for Democracy and Development. And she also co-founded the Global Network on the Question of Palestine, which is a coalition Many of you, of course, will know it's a coalition of renowned professional uh, and uh, other scholars engaged in uh, the issues around Israel-Palestine. And of course, Francesca has recently published uh, um, and published also quite widely uh, on the legal situation in Israel-Palestine. Her latest book uh, is Palestinian Refugees in International Law and is published by Oxford Press. She's also worked for uh, various United Nations agencies, OHCHR, and also the United Nations Works and Relief Agency for Palestine. So welcome, Francesca. Thank you very much for joining us uh, from sunny Italy. Um, I'm here in sunny England, which is pretty, pretty, uh, pretty extraordinary to say that. But here we are. We're both in, in a bit of a heat wave here in Europe, and it's great to have you. Um, welcome to all of you who are joining us from wherever you are right across the world. Um, please do get ready to send in some of your questions to Francesca. She's very kindly um, agreed to be with us for a while tonight so that we can explore some of the big issues that she's uh, she's involved with and, and also try to answer some of your questions. Um, I'm Mark Seddon. I used to be a, a correspondent with Al Jazeera Television. I was their UN correspondent in New York. I then went on to work for the United Nations. I worked for um, Secretary General Ban Ki-moon as a speechwriter more recently for uh, President of the General Assembly, um, a wonderful woman called Maria Fernanda. <laughs> so, as always, we're very, uh, we want to hear from all of you. Please uh, think of questions you want to send in, uh, raise any points. Uh, this is your show. Uh, firstly, Francesca, congratulations on your appointment. I know it's, uh, you know, a couple of months ago, but congratulations anyway. Um, uh, these are always difficult times to take over. A, a post like this, a post I should say, which is, I think it's, I'm right in saying Francesca is unpaid. It's, uh, is mm -hmm. it? Yes. yes. So, I mean, <laughs> never an easy time. Um, we were just before we came on air, we were talking about, you know, what you needed apart from good luck. And some of us were speculating that you probably have already acquired a tin, tin helmet. And, um, and also if you, if you, if you hadn't got it already, the, the height of our rhinoceros, which is what you need for all of the attacks you're going to get for standing up and doing the job that you've been asked to do by the United Nations. So very, very good luck. Um, I just wanted to begin, really, um, by asking you something about your background, because we just had a, a, qu a quick whiz through your, uh, your CV, if you like. But um, I, I just wondered, you know, how, what it was really that brought you... Um, into the into Palestinian human rights in particular, what was it about uh, Palestine, the, the issue of Palestine, that, that has has taken you to where you are right now? 
Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you, Mark. Uh, and thank you very much for hosting me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be with, uh, with you all. Um, before I answer the question, I hope you don't mind uh, me commenting on something you just said. There is never an easy time uh, in Palestine. This is so very true. Uh, but it's also true that in general, both policymakers and others have lost their perception of what it means for an entire people, like the Palestinians, to be fragmented with many in exile and many under a brutal occupation, which in fact becomes more brutal by the day. And this is part and parcel of what uh, brought me to, to do what I'm doing and to be the special rapporteur and uh, say, in short, on occupied Palestine. So my interest in the question of Palestine goes hand in hand with really who I am. I am profoundly and committed to human rights and justice. This is really, this defines me as a, as a human being and as a professional. And I've always had a profound interest in the Levant, which is called the Middle East, and our southern uh, southern eastern, southeastern border, I'm sorry, southeastern neighbors. Um, especially coming from, from south of Italy, there is a, a lot of cultural proximity. Uh, and this is why I started to work in the Middle East um, and North Africa region about 20 years ago. And then what really, so I've always been exposed to, to the reality in Palestine, also because I grew up in Italy at the time where, um, while support to Israel was, not, was totally normal and due, at the same time, commitment to the rights of the Palestinians and to the self-determination of the Palestinians was a bipartisan issue. And it was agreed by the right and the left. And, uh, and so there was a lot of discussion about Palestine as I, I grew up, which is now, now the situation has completely um, changed. But what really, what, what made a breakthrough in my life was uh, by studying, really. I've always been active on justice, global justice issues, including Palestine, but studying, I mean, perfectioning my studies as a lawyer in the UK and going through the question of Palestine through the lens of, of international law and a critical approach to colonialism was really an awakening for me and has turned me into uh, the, the advocate for justice I am. And, uh, and yes, I've, I've worked uh, on, on and in Palestine with the United Nations, um, also as a scholar. And so it was a natural, in a way, it was a natural path that I followed. And um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a just, sorry, a long answer, but this is who I am. So it's very no, natural. Thank you, Francesca. I mean, I wonder if I just could move on from that and 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 focus on the on the um, UN Human Rights Council and your mandate, really, uh, because you've been asked to investigate and report on the human rights situation in the occupied Palestinian territories, and of course that uh, that that means the West Bank. It also includes East Jerusalem uh, and uh, Gaza. Um, I mean, can you tell us what this will mean in practice? You know, yes. How do you go about pulling your report together? Yeah. So yes, my my role entails certain responsibility, as you said, investigating human rights violations in occupied Palestinian territories. So what remains of historical Palestine, which you already mentioned, that Israel occupied in 1967. So there are two important limitations to my my, my mandate. One is temporal, and one is geographic. This doesn't render justice to what the Palestinian as, as 
Palestinians as a people have endured and the kind of justice they're really seeking. And at the same time, I do I do think that there are ways to to act and deliver on that mandate in a way that doesn't doesn't inflict further pain and further injustice on the on the Palestinians. So what it means in in practice is that mm, when there are individual violations, um, especially if I'm called upon, uh, I'm called to act by the victims, yeah, I'm solicited, so I tend to, I tend to, to take action. The point is that the, the amount of violations taking place in, um, in, in occupied Palestine force me to, to pick and choose, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And so I try to have a strategy, nevertheless. Um, so, and yes, report to member states and the Human Rights Council and the General Assembly. You asked me, how do we assemble? How do I put together my reports? It's based on what happens on the ground. But instead, as my predecessor, Michael Link, did, instead of producing a cycle of reports on incidents that happened during my, the, the reporting period, I will try to have thematic reports that while rendering justice to the, to the development on the ground, allow policymakers to, to receive a like, like anal- proper analysis and recommendations linked to certain arguments. For example, self-determination is going to be, the right of self-determination is going to be my first report, the focus of my first report to the General Assembly. I can tell you more about that if you're interested, but I didn't undertake a visit because I thought it was it would be unfair to try to set up to, to, to set expectations that I couldn't meet in terms of what would be reported to me. But at the same time, I needed to start from this because this is so crucial to where the impasse, the impasse at a political level is and what delivering justice means for the for the Palestinians. Of course, there are a number of modalities that I can choose creatively. Um, in terms of engagement with the media, engagement with a variety of uh, stakeholders, including Jewish and Palestinian communities in the diaspora. And this is what I am to do as a, as a new special rapporteur. Actually, before I move to the next question, we've, we've literally had a, a, a news flash, which I saw from Haaretz, saying that uh, President Biden and President Abbas have failed to agree a common statement, it would appear, as a result of, the, of a meeting they've just had. Uh, and they're going to be issuing separate statements. So I just thought... People might be interested in that uh, but as, as, as it's breaking. But going back to what you were just saying there, uh, Francesca, you, you don't look at, um, you know, you're not looking at uh, historic uh, human rights issues. It is very much, um, you know, it's, it's as, as, as it's happening, it's current, it's, it's during your tenure. And, and how, how, do people, how do people get in touch with you? I mean, what, what, what you know, or do you set out? Do you set out the parameters for your report yourself and decide how you're going to go about it? Yeah, Mark, allow me. Allow me to say, um, yeah, I cannot go back in history where where it's necessary. Meaning, what are the root causes of the of the situation in of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, or it's called, or the situation of Palestine? I cannot go back to forty-eight or nineteen twenty-two because this is for me. The beginning of the problem. It goes hand in hand with European colonialism and European anti-Semitism. I would not be able to investigate that, but it doesn't actually, my mandate covers 1967. So as of 1967, I, yes, I can comment and analyze and, uh, and I will do. Uh, and also it doesn't mean that I cannot look back at history and draw some conclusions that allow me 
to underpin mm. my analysis, you know. But how normally, um, again, I'm I'm compelled to follow developments, to hear from people, um, both states and non-governmental organizations. I try, I will try to also keep up. Um, a, a proper engagement with the academia um, to to bring everyone together. But so I'm solicited, as I said, I'm, I'm to take action on certain themes. This is what will happen in the course of my six-year mandate. But eventually there will be also a level of discretion in how I want to write my reports. Of course, there can be a disconnect between the reality and how I see that. It would be very unfortunate. But yes, I receive, for example, for the um, uh, for the, my report on self-determination, I indicated publicly what was my intention, and I received um, uh, dozens of um, over over actually over dozen um, contributions um, from civil societies, both Israelis and uh, Palestinians, and including um, Jewish lawyers supporting supporting Israel. So I'm very happy to have received um, a lot of information to consider. Well, I mean, I think it's, you know, people would be very pleased to hear that you're you're getting a, a sort of constructive involvement and from all sorts of uh, diff different walks of life. Um, but I mean, it, I think it's fair to say that, you know, as soon as you were appointed, as soon as it was announced that you're going to be appointed, uh, you, 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 you received a great brick bat of attacks. I mean, just on a personal level, were you you must have known that was coming, I suppose. But were you actually prepared for some of the? I mean, you're a human rights uh, uh, reporter, uh, and and yet there's there's some of the some of the appalling uh, criticism that's been you know not even criticism, it's insults been thrown at you. I mean, were you prepared for for, for all of that? To be to be fair, the barrage of attacks started before I got appointed. Actually, when it was clear that I was. Uh, being considered for the post and the attacks hit me and, and the others in the rows of experts being considered for the post. Um, so yes, I was prepared because I've seen how the detractors have infamously attempted at the reputation of Professor Richard Falk or Professor Michael Link. I mean, Richard Falk is an institution in international law and he's one of the most enlightened living international lawyers and he leads the way and still they i mean they trashed they, they attempted to trash his reputation so i know what i would put myself into uh, so i was prepared yes it doesn't i'm not saying that it doesn't hurt i remember in february march and april i mean it, it, it annoyed me but I also knew that it would be the politics. This was part and parcel mm -hmm. of the politics of deflection. Hit me <laughs> in order not to talk about the substance. Now I do not have the time really to look at yeah. what they say, how they say that, because I'm, I'm really busy and I'm trying to, to discharge my mandate in a decent fashion, responding to member states and responding to the victims first and foremost this is yeah cool. you've, got a, you've got one hell of a job on your hands francesca i'm i tell you what i mean I, we're getting one or two people getting in touch who are who are, who are swiftly taking away my questions or, or posing even better ones here is phyllis bennis for instance phyllis says um recent human rights reports on israeli apartheid have changed public media uh, public and media discourse with calls for greater United Nations engagement. And there are calls to reopen the now paused special committee against apartheid and, crucially, the centre against apartheid. Do you have ideas uh, as to how civil society can help make that happen, asked Phyllis. 
Thank you, Phyllis. Um, I, well, I think first of all, it's, it's very, I agree with you, Mark. It's a very important question. Let me again take a step back. Yes, I think that the apartheid discourse that has been uh, courageously initiated um, from international and Israeli civil society, I mean, initiated in, uh, in quote, because the Palestinians have always denounced that what was put in the regime put in place by Israel uh, resembled apartheid. So it was a not, a, not a new discourse, but it has been magnified and further substantiated by Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, Pristina, and um, B'Tselem, of course, and others. Um, so it's very important to keep momentum because it, this is a word, apartheid is a word that resonates very well and profoundly with a European, with Western public. I work for an Arab organization and I see that in the Arab region, it's, it's a different kind of, of impact. So what is necessary, first of all, is to continue to explain, to unpack what apartheid means because the reaction has been, you know, of rejection of the word what's to get altogether as if the problem was the word i denounce mm -hmm. what happens day in and out and i don't even use the word apartheid because it, again it's an illegal occupation which has morphed into apartheid but it's even more serious somewhat because it pursue um, to use ilan pape ilan pape's image a displacement replacement sort of mechanisms. So what, let me go to the, answer, to, to, the, to the question, what can the civil society, what can the civil society engaged on the issue do? Stay united, work with sort of, um, not unified, but with uh, common messages, have a strategy, because it seems that also this is part and parcel of the fragmentation. There are people running in different directions. So uh, the apartheid discourse has so, somewhat unified um the the movement and so keep on pushing i mean mm. in order to dismantle the apartheid regime but also to this starting with dismantling the occupation because this is eventually the vehicle that has emboldened um and has allowed uh the the the, the, the realization of an apartheid regime and it's outside the realm of international law just to be to be clear where do i stand on this well, actually, mention of apartheid um, has suddenly brought me in mind, I think, of a video we could have. I think that this will be of uh, the approach roads that President Biden will have to pass through or is passing through on his way into the occupied territories. And I wonder if we might just have a quick look at some of the video footage we have of what President Biden may see. Well, there you are. That's courtesy of Bet Salem, who have put those those uh, those banners and adverts up uh, right across the uh, occupied territories. And if President Biden gets caught in traffic like that, he's not going to fail to read it. We have here a question. There's another question uh, from Dave Chappelle, uh, Francesca, and uh, this is quite interesting as well because, um, as you know, that the presidency of the General Assembly passes to Hungary uh, in September, uh, and also, uh, the deputy uh, uh, president, vice president of the General Assembly is an uh, uh, Israeli diplomat. Israel has won the vice presidency. So Dave Chappelle's question is, um, Israeli officials have said they'll have no engagement with Francesca as UN rapporteur, uh, and Israel has also just gained the vice presidency of the UN General Assembly. Do you, Francesca Fillers, are you been somewhat set up? 
uh, you know, to, to, to uh, with this situation. You're going to have to report to a General Assembly with uh, as the Israelis as vice presidents who say they're not going to engage with you. Well, I think they will be forced to because I, I mean, I'm, I cannot expect not uh, not to have um, my uh, my reports uh, um, uh, listened to, my reports presented. Uh, so I um, I understand the I don't I don't justify, of course, the resentment toward me, but I'm just someone who sheds light to the fact sheds light to the norms and may link the dots. So I would like to be challenged on the substance of what I say and not um, for the um, for the perception, because it's, of course, it's magnified. And again, as, a, as part of the politics of deflection, it's unacceptable that a member state doesn't cooperate with a UN uh, independent expert. I've been I've been mandated by the Human Rights Council. So now, whatever the perceptions, I should be respected for the role, I, for the responsibilities I carry. Well, indeed, and you know, having worked for the General Assembly and the Secretariat, I, mm -hmm. I, I, what you say is absolutely <laughs> correct. There's no doubt about all of that. Uh, and if um, if the uh, if the Israeli uh, if the Israelis decide they don't want to engage with you, well, I suppose that they'll be drawing attention to uh, to themselves. Um, but I suppose that another question that follows from that is that you know mm -hmm. should you um, should you have plans to visit any of the occupied Palestinian territories in, in furtherance of your work? Do you expect the full cooperation of the occupying authorities to allow you to go wherever you choose to go? Of course, of course I do. And I understand, and you know, if I can share an anecdote, as I joined, as I, as I took on, took up my functions, I mean, there was a sort of uh, an innuendo saying, okay, but you're never going to, to allow to enter, excuse me, why would I take it as a, I mean, as a starting point, you know, it, it runs very much against who I am as a lawyer and international law, because Israel reminder, Israel has no sovereignty over the occupied Palestinian territory, which means that if I'm invited by the Palestinian Authority um, to visit uh, the occupied Palestinian territory, starting with the West Bank, uh, Israel cannot prevent me or the Commission of Inquiry or the Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights, which, by the way, it's two years that is prevented from, en from uh, entering, getting visas to work in um, in the OPT, not in Israel. I mean, my mandate is the is the occupied Palestinian territory. So I'm not planning to go to Israel and investigate Israel's wrongdoings vis-a-vis -vis, uh, these Israeli citizens. But I need mm. to go to the West Bank and the Gaza, and I will do. Well, good for you. Um, I mean, you've also, I mean, in a number of um, interviews you've had, and and, and uh, where have been some profile pieces of you you've 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 highlighted the increased problems and difficulties faced by uh human rights defenders if we may call them that or human rights uh, advocates um also yourself of course um but what what are the sort of it, it does seem quite extraordinary that people who stand up for human rights wherever that might be in the world should actually find themselves being on the uh, on, 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 on the on the sort of on the side of uh, of state authorities who are who are threatening you, um, or th or or others who are threatening um, making making threats to human rights defenders. But what 
what would a human rights advocate, human rights defender, uh, tend to expect in terms of uh, uh, problems, if you like? In, 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 and what, what sort of work would, what sort of problems do you think you may face in the field? Uh, <clears throat> well, I think that the problems that the civil society in uh, occupied Palestine faces are much more serious and dangerous than what I might ever face. This is what I what I think. Maybe I'm too optimistic, because and there has been a crescendo of attacks, uh, both personal and against the organizations, which have culminated with the designation. What is called the designation of the six. I think your audience know what I, know what I'm talking knows what I'm talking about, and um, and and again. It, 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 now the problem is that is with the with the counterterrorism legislation, which will make this organization, which will make these organizations remain vulnerable. This is I'm very worried about. So what is to be done is to make sure that any piece piece of legislation that endangers. Um, the, the civic civic space, the civil society space is repealed. And this is why it's all good that the European Union has restated funds uh, for, for the six, for example, but there is a need for pressure in order to make sure that their space is really protected because they are the bastions of protection. So what is needed um, is, first of all, to understand where it comes from. Dictatorships, and these are the methods that dictatorships and tyrants adopt. Um, uh, like shooting at or targeting civil society is, is something that happens here in systems and regimes that lack democracy, real democracy. So let's understand the situation. Otherwise, we will be addressing the symptoms and not curing the main, the main problem. The main problem, again, that these organizations, most of them have been engaged for accountability to fight against impunity which is the very reason why Israel, the state of Israel is upset with, uh, with them. So protecting them is a way also to protect the people in Palestine under occupation. Yes, it, it does look as though, you know, the human rights uh, campaigners, supporters, advocates are really the messengers who are, who are, <laughs> who are being singled out for, for conveying uh, messages that are uh, inconvenient. And of course, you know, beyond the uh, human rights advocates, there's, there is the grinding reality of, a, of, a, of an occupation that goes on. And in recent weeks, we've seen uh, the big push to uh, demolish and remove villages from uh, parts of uh, the West Bank where uh, the uh, Israelis have claimed that they have a right to install a military range. Um, and I think we've, we may have got some footage of that, um, the, the village of uh, Umkusa being just destroyed actually uh, in recent days if we could just perhaps have a, a look at that this demolition happening now by the Israeli occupation forces in the village of Am Gusa they started now with the first house for a family and it seems they're going to continue for the other homes. There are three big bulldozers here in the, in the village participating in the demolition with the forces who brutally take the family out of their home to begin the demolition. 
Well, that was actually a report by uh, Basil, who who we uh, had on the show uh, the other week. A very brave young man who who lives in the area and who's been chronicling uh, what's been going on. And we have actually seen in recent days uh, the European Union, the British government, British minister with responsibility condemning uh, this action as being illegal. Um, and of course, you yourself have uh, have referred to uh, essentially uh, the Israeli occupation. Uh, crossing the red line of legality. Uh, and, um, you know, this is uh, essentially, I, I think, to put this in context, you said that the Israeli occupation has crossed the red line of legality because according to international law, occupation is to be temporary, justified by military necessity and, the in, and in the interests of the occupied people. Um, and, of course, we know, you know that this is now the world's longest occupation, it's continuing. Uh, and beyond the occupation, there is the stealing of land, the taking of land and the driving out of people. So you, 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 you of all people will, will know that the people are getting very frustrated by all of this. And they say, well, yes, all of this illeg illegality is continuing. We have President Biden now visiting Israel and Palestine. But, but what's really happening? What's what is being done to counter it? Um, and what, what what message would you have for the for those villagers whose homes we, we were seeing were being destroyed quite illegally? International law is quite clear about that. It's a legal demolition and destruction of people's homes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. First of all, um, some yes, I, I I keep on saying that the occupation is illegitimate and illegal for the very reasons uh, that you have mentioned, and there is more, in fact that I keep on bringing to the discussion. But the first one, to put it in so candid, simple terms, was Michael Link in 2017. And he has been brilliant in initiating this reflection on the like the broader context, instead of focusing on violations that are crucial, are critical and happen every day. But we need to take a step back and look at the system because it's the system which is very wrong. The system that allowed what happened uh, to the village that was demolished a few days ago, the, the system that allows the evacuations in enforced um, displacement in, in Sheikh Jarrah, in Siwan, and the other Jerusalem neighborhoods, and the system which allows the, <coughs> excuse me, this is the forced displacement of 1,200 people in Masafer Yatta. Why? To create a fight, like um, a military training zone. I keep on saying Israel has no right to do that. The military exercises, the military training can well take place in Israel, not in metropolitan territory of Israel, not in occupied land. These are, I mean, I what I would say to this, um, to the to the people in the villages uh, that have been uh, that are are being destroyed day after day is that first of all, I'm really, I'm really sorry as a human being before being a special rapporteur. And it's not the law, it's not international law that has failed them, it's the politics. And so this is why it's my responsibility and part of like anyone, frankly, uh, including particularly in the international community to, to put pressure on our governments and me to try to raise more awareness about the fact that mere condemnations leads to nothing. Impunity generates further impunity. Um, so as the case of uh, the Russian aggression 
illegal and legitimate aggression against Ukraine and Ukrainian people has provoked, has spurred criticism and a strong uh, legally compliant response, the same kind of honesty and um, uh, spirit of legality needs to occur in Palestine. Yes. I mean, Francesca, we've been uh, here at Palestine Deep Dive right from the outset of the uh, Russian or the latest part of the Russian invasion, because, of course, uh, parts of Ukraine had already fallen into Russia's ambit. Um, but this 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 latest uh, 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 occupation of parts of eastern Ukraine, we've had a number of guests who have made similar points to you. It's a military occupation. It's illegal. Um, but uh, it, it has been a very, very recent uh, uh, occupation for the most part. And the reaction has been incredibly swift. The Western European countries and America in particular, in terms of um, sanctions uh, and even supplying military weapons uh, and and much more. So uh, you can forgive people um, in Palestine for saying, well, you know, these are double standards at play here. You know, we have got uh, the International Criminal Court, the ICJ as well, prepared to move very, very quickly to investigate uh, crimes that have been uh, committed alleged crimes by Russia, um, but alleged crimes elsewhere in, the, in Palestine, Israel, it's very slow. So again, you you know you take this, you've got this huge responsibility as a reporter, but people are going to come to you with all these sorts of questions, saying, you know, we we wish you all the best. We're going to help you in whatever way we can, but we do kind of feel people will be saying we feel a bit powerless, Francesca, because we see the enormous power and influence of countries to act when they want to. But we're looking right now and we're seeing what's happening in the occupied territories and not much is happening. What do you say to people who think who say, say that there's terrible double standards? That they are right. I do see the same double standards. And this is why it's important to expose to expose it, because it's something that still I see. I sense that it makes, uh, for example, European leaders very uncomfortable and um and, and it's necessary because the get, getting the diagnosis wrong will lead us to the wrong curve. So first of all, first of all, let's assume, let's understand, let's acknowledge that there is a double standard in uh, operating here. And as uh, any colonized people since the time where colonization was the rule and not the exception. Palestinians have always been the victims of double standards. Now uh, we have entered an a new phase, what I call the realm of absurd, where just at one latitude, uh, what becomes applicable and necessary and use Kogans on one latitude becomes uh, nonsense, uh, almost a utopia, a few thousand kilometers um, further south. So there is a cognitive dissonance there. And mm. starting by exposing it will hopefully lead conscientious people to react, both including in civil society. Because, you know, in my, for example, in my own country, I recently realized that, that there is um, a, 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 a sort of magnified effect of uh, media manipulating the information, not necessarily telling the truth, and the politicians playing according to their political agenda. And this has completely um, derailed a healthy and necessary debate that needs to occur on Palestine. So we really need to start from there, 
reorienting the debate. And my lighthouse and my compass is international law, and I will keep on having faith. But it's not a blind faith. I'm not optimistic, but um, on, let's say, looking at the reality, but I must stay positive in terms of what international law can give us because it's a powerful toolbox and it's not used not being used to the fullest this is what i keep on saying i, I, I think many of your our viewers would agree with that francesca um, and also take heart at the fact that uh, a lot of people have been making these uh, comparisons these direct comparisons between uh, the occupation of ukraine and the occupation of the palestinian territories and also uh, taking um uh, taking you know great great uh, hope from the fact that increasingly uh, international organizations that are respected the united nations amnesty international bestelem uh, are essentially making arguments that are receiving much greater traction than they might have done a year or so ago and particularly around issues around uh, israeli apartheid but look here's a question you may or may not be able to answer this francesca this is um, uh, this is about a specific case you'll be familiar with it james in london asks uh, can you tell us what can and, has, and is being done to raise awareness of palestinian detainee ahmed manasra I think he's, I, if I pronounce his name correctly, who's been in prison for over seven years since he was 13 years old and is now reportedly suffering with extreme mental health problems. Do you know what the latest is on his condition? And um, should he be released by Israel? Do you know about this case, Francesca? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Uh, I do because this case has been haunting me since the very beginning since I saw the scenes of this boy, no matter, no, matter, no matter what he had done, no child should be treated the way he's been treated. The footage of him, broken bones, laying on the ground under a barrage of insults, and then fiercely interrogated by an adult being tormented through the interrogation after being in hospital um, in, chained to bed and spoon-fed by someone who was not his mom. Uh, Ahmed was 13 when he was, uh, when he was arrested and then he's been convicted and there have been so many irregularities that I cannot go through them. But what I've done is to take this case um, as soon as I, as I came into, into, into the job and, um, and do everything that is in my power by writing letters, by joining the, the international advocacy campaign. There will be, yes, I would come, I mean, I would come out more, more vocally um, on, on this in the, in the coming days, but I'm not going to let go. This is a case that needs to be exposed. It's not a unique come. This is what I'm saying. I, I decided to focus from the very beginning on a few cases like Mohammed uh, Halabi, um, uh, Salah Hamouri, uh, Ahmed Manasra, because they, again, they are not unique, but they represent the fierceness and the brutality of arrest and detention and the politics of imprisonment imposed on the Palestinians. So uh, my intention is to keep focusing on it, coming through um, with a specific report and analysis and recommendations on these issues, because it's uh, it's extremely critical. The numbers of detainees, including in administrative detention, meaning without, without evidence of wrongdoing, without conviction. 
I mean, it's evidence. Detention without trial. That, that's detention without trial. Without, trial. without yeah. trial. I mean, there is evidence, but it's kept secret. So we yeah. don't know. I mean, there is no conviction. So why they are in jail? Yeah, ironically, I think using um, uh, colonial era laws from the British mandate, if you can believe there it. Are 600, there are 670 people in administrative Unbelievable. Well, look, we've got uh, a few comments um, coming in. Um, <laughs> Heather Fermaini, she says, uh, thank you very much for raising the question of Ahmad Manazra. He, like so many other children, has been detained in isolation for many years, sometimes for months at a time. Uh, Khalil El Halabi says, thank you, Francesca, for this interview and your support for the Palestinians. Uh, Sami T says, the United Nations, with its current structures, is unable to impose any sanctions on apartheid Israel. Is it time to create a new international organization without being vetoed by the Security Council? That perhaps is a question that could be could be posed <laughs> elsewhere. It's not really fair that we ask Francesca to reform the United Nations for us here tonight <laughs> and she'll get into trouble because she's got much more important work to be doing, I think, with the um, with, with the work in hand. So I just wanted to move on, if I might, actually, because, um, you know, we are, President Biden is in, uh, he is in Israel-Palestine right now. Uh, he's had meetings with Palestinian leadership and with Israeli political leadership. Um, you talked earlier about the key, the politics being key to all of this. You've got international law, but politics is key. And certainly in, in my lifetime, I can remember a whole succession of uh American presidents and secretary of states who had been engaged in, in almost perpetual shuttle diplomacy. Um, mm. They really, really did take uh, the issue of peace in the Middle East, it seems, a whole lot more seriously than more recent uh, holders of the office uh, uh, appear to be doing. I mean, what, what would you expect President Biden to be saying to uh, the is Israeli political leadership once again, doddering because there's going to be another election so you know but it's another kind of temporary israeli uh, administration in power but what do you think he could be saying to he should be saying to them about the human rights situation in the occupied territories well ha wait a second let me let me understand the question because what what i expect he will say or what he should be saying because i don't think that any american president would would say under the circumstances, anything that I believe the president should say. But however, I mean, there might be there might be a middle a middle way. I think that he should start by um, I mean, he should depart from the agenda set by the former the previous president because the situation, uh, the legal situation, the human rights situation in occupied Palestine was already um, as worrisome and as disconcerting as it was before Trump. Under the Oslo, I mean, under the, the, the framework created by the Oslo Accords. Now, the peace plan, the so-called peace plan proposed by uh, under the presidency of Donald Trump has further lowered the, the, the relevance and of international law and possibility to solve the situation according to international law, but not only according to basic dignity and moral values, because it's just uh, it's expecting the Palestinians to uh, to live um, to live um, uh, in a system of of full control of their sovereignty by by Israel, which I think is again unfair and illegal. 
it's not in line with international law because international law uh, demands and requests that any people realize first and foremost their right to self-determination. This is critical and it's key. And occupation is not compatible with the right of self-determination. Apartheid is not, which has used um, a military occupation for 55 years, is not compatible with self-determination. And not letting self-determination translate into freedom from external control uh, is, uh, is, is what uh, should uh, concern the President of the United States like any other um, country engaged with the issue of Israel-Palestine. Thank you, Francesca. Now, you were recently quoted as saying that the Israeli government and its supporters' repeated claim of exceptionalism have been overused and, and this has led to abuses and to double standards. And it's about time for the international community to question and act upon it. So what did you mean by exceptionalism and, and what do you expect the international community to do about it? Yeah, look, uh, Israel is clearly not the only state which operates outside what is permitted by international law. Unfortunately, there are many states who have a terrible record, a poor record of compliance with international law. But the situation is particularly serious because here it's not a matter of domestic policy. It's Israel is controlling the state of another, the state and the territory of another people on top of the fact that it has never responded to the violations committed against the Palestinians as of 1947, 1948, to refer to Israel proper. And, uh, and so what is also exceptional, so what is exceptional is the impunity and the favor that Israel continues to enjoy uh, by in, in the international community. And it has become broader rather than a contrary. So now even countries which used to be critical of Israel's human rights performance have becoming sort of acquiescent, which is a, which is a, a very worrisome, worrisome trajectory. Um, and there is a fear, widespread fear and reticence to, to criticize uh, Israel up to the point that in Europe there is a huge sense of compression up to repression of freedom of expression, which is extremely dangerous. Um, so there is no possibility to criticize um, Israel. And, um, and again, look at the, the lens certain governments are going to make sure that Israel continues to enjoy exceptionalism. Yes, it is, it, is, it is quite shocking to watch that and watching this process that's been happening over a period of years. And, uh, and also, it's very interesting to, to hear what you were saying about, the, um, about President Trump's uh, initiatives, which really did, in many respects, try to rush, ride roughshod over international law to bury it and hope that people wouldn't notice. But look, here's a question talking about the United States. We've got Farouk, and he's in Denver, uh, and he asks... Um, are you satisfied with the, the progress of the quest for justice, the killing of Shireen Abu Akhla? And, you know, is there anything that the United Nations can really do here? Um, no, I'm not satisfied because, again, when it comes to the big players, nothing changes. But I'm very 
um, not happy because there is nothing to be happy about. Uh, the killing of anyone and Shirin Abouakhle, as many have said, was the voice of, uh, I mean, the voice of journalism on Palestine. So it's, again, happy is not the right word, but there is something that keeps me uh, positive and is the fact that I see that civil society around the world doesn't let it go. So yeah. there have been investigations carried out by by media groups uh, and, uh, and and including the Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights, which has forensic and, and legal expertise. So they came out with, with a pretty solid uh, conclusion that has been completely ignored by the Americans. I mean, it's again, I do think that the United Nations need to step up their efforts. I've received a request to investigate on the case. I think that the most appropriate Body should be the Commission of Inquiry on Israel-Palestine as part of an investigation over the killing of, and the targeting of journalists. Because Shirin Abu Akhle, unfortunately, was not the first case of journalists killed in while in, um, in line of duty. And, um, and so there is this body, which is better equipped, I would say, than myself yes. or other special rapporteurs. Well, and actually, it's the, the office of the prosecutor of the ICC, Yes, which uh, yes. should try to to go in and investigate on these cases because they've they've received the formal submissions to do so uh, on the case on many on many cases of journalists killed in line of duty in occupied Palestine. Yes, there have been there have been a lot of a lot of journalists. Of course, Shireen was one of my old colleagues from Al Jazeera, and I watched as the United States um, administration effectively acknowledged that the bullet that came from uh, IDF Israeli Defense Forces. Uh, but uh, they, they, they then went on to say that it was not she was not targeted in any way. Um, now, of course, this has been hugely disputed by uh, many of those organisations that you have mentioned, uh, and of course, as you as you would expect, her family. But for good reason. And in fact, I think we may have a clip of uh, Shireen's niece, uh, Lena. Um, I think she was making a call for action before President Biden went to Israel Palestine. Perhaps we could have a quick look at that. Accountability. What would proper accountability look like uh, for you and your family at this point? Uh, accountability for our family would look like uh, holding Israel accountable and ending this systemic impunity that Israel continues to enjoy. And to actually for the U.S. to carry out an, an independent, swift and transparent investigation that is free from any political pressure uh, and any political bias to hold Israel accountable and uh, for us to have justice. Well, there you are. That's an issue that's not going to go away. And President Biden could not have failed to have noticed the big banners um, calling for, uh, uh, sh for action on Shireen's uh, uh, shooting, her killing by Israeli forces. Uh, she has become uh, one of the the best known faces, I suppose, of those who have been killed in, in recent years. But as we were talking, you know, there have been many journalists, there have been many journalist organizations that have been targeted, um, uh, not least AP uh, and Al Jazeera, more recently in Gaza City. Here's a question. We are, unfortunately, we don't have an, a great deal longer with you, Francesca, but I, I we're squeezing another couple, if that's all right. Uh, this is a question from... Uh, from Zeto. I know I'm not quite sure where Zeto is getting in touch from, but uh, Zeto says, um, 
seeing the level of impunity that Israel often benefits from, what stop what can stop Israel from sending Palestinians from the West Bank to Jordan? Who would stop them? Who has the power to stop them if Israel decides to do so? Of course, um, that's a difficult question for you to answer because they haven't actually begun to do that. But um, who could stop Israel if it wanted to do that? Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't understand the question. In fact, what I think that can... was saying, you know, it, given you know that that is Israel, uh, the Israeli government seems to act with a degree of impunity. Uh, if it were suddenly to decide that it wanted to to drive Palestinians out of the occupied territories into Jordan, who who would who would be there to stop them? That's the question. But it may not really be a question that you can answer as a, a no, rapid. I can on the on the point of uh, of law. It cannot do that. Mm. Forcibly displaced uh, population under occupation is a grave breach of the Fourth Geneva Convention, and it's even a war crime. So now the point is how to stop this from continuing to happen because it has happened, and it has happened at least from 1967. Again, this is my mandate. So let me speak to it, but I'm very happy that there is the Commission of Inquiry created in by the Human Rights Council in 2021, which will look at Israel and Palestine more comprehensively. And um, so what, what should happen is... Uh, the resort uh, to the measures prescribed by the United Nations Charter to, in case of, uh, of I mean, to, to, to um, reduce this kind of violations. There are political measures, diplomatic measures, economic measures, and, and more if there is no, I mean, no limit to the impunity. Um, and also, you know, for example, the European Union has a trade agreement with Israel that has a clause that in, that refers to um, serious violations of human rights as a cause for terminating uh, the agreement. Well, I think that, that that threshold has been crossed. And so starting with taking measures in prescribed, allowed for by international law is, is what is really necessary here because condemnation is not enough. And it's leading to an erosion of, uh, of the multilateral system and the multilateral order, which doesn't afford for pick and choose when it comes to international law and doesn't afford for international law to be used more harshly against certain state and more leniently vis-a-vis um, -vis the, the allied. Uh, the lies, sorry. So, um, yeah, it's in the name of, uh, of the value of, uh, of the international order that I advocate for a return to international law. Thank you, Francesca. I should just say that Zeto is actually from Tunisia. Hi, Zeto. Thanks very much for your question. Um, look, I think, sadly, we are really running out of time. We've got one question here. Um, again, this is about a particular case. Uh, so, Francesca, you may be aware um, David, who's in Manchester in England, he asks, what's the latest on Salah Hamouri? Is it true that the French authorities are investigating the use of Pegasus against him? Does that does that mean anything to you, that case? I cannot comment on this. You can't Sorry. comment on it. That's yes, fine. but I'm following. What I would like to say is that I'm following very closely uh, this case. It's just that I cannot comment on this. No. Okay. Appreciate it. Well, that gives me a, t a chance to ask one final question because, um, you know, all the time here at Palestine Deep Dive, we have uh, people from all backgrounds from right across the world. Uh, they might be Muslim, they might be Jewish, they might be Christian, they might be um, none of the above. 
Um, and um, most people who get in touch or who ask questions, and we've heard from a lot of people tonight, um, do so from the best possible motives. Uh, and they are, of course, it's in the name. This is Palestine Deep Dive. People are very sympathetic and supportive of the Palestinian cause. But what do you say? Because you've experienced some of this yourself, Francesca. Um, for those people who stand up um, and who who stand with the Palestinians, when they are accused by some people uh, for be, of being anti-Semitic for doing so, what do what do you say to those who bandy the words anti-Semitism around in the way that they sometimes do? Now, look, the, the weaponization and the misuse of anti the weaponization of anti-Semitism, the anti-Semitism label. Uh, is is an issue that I'm not sure everyone appreciates, but is extremely is extremely uh, dangerous. And again, because it eventually it leads to the erosion of the freedom of expression, the freedom to express dissent, the freedom to criticize, which is uh, quintessential to the to healthy um, societies. Because if we curtail dissent, what are we left with? Um, and the point is that I've always, I don't like to be called pro-Palestinian because this has never been the case for me. I'm, I'm in favor of justice. I'm in favor of legality. And this is not a matter of rivalry between two people as the, you know, the banners you showed are from B'Tselem, an Israeli organization. And how many, um, Jewish Americans are trying to shift the debate. In Europe, I was surprised because I've always said, oh, but Jewish communities in Europe are not critical enough. Actually, this is not the case. Um, my, my month of June spent in European, with Europe, sorry, in Europe and European capitals uh, showed me another reality that, in fact, there are Jewish activists trying to stand, again, for legality and justice in Palestine, which means also justice for and and the prospects for a, a brighter future for both Israelis and Palestinians, and they're getting silenced. Mm. Well, we, we've had many Jewish activists on Palestine Deep Dive, and we'll continue to to do that. And we'll 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 uh, we're happy happy to afford people space wherever they're coming from. Um, but look, Francesca, uh, sadly. We have to bring this to an end. We've we've taken up a lot of your time. And we're very grateful for it. We're very grateful for you joining us. And thank you for the very honest and straightforward answers to all the questions that have come your way. Uh, we wish you all the very best in your role. We'll be watching it with great interest and a lot of support. Um, so thank you very much. And I hope you'll come and join us again another time. Thank you, Francesca. And thank you to everybody, to Omar, to Alex, to Ahmed. Uh, to everybody who makes Palestine Deep Dive work. And until next time, it's goodbye from me and goodbye from Francesca. Thank you very much and bye everyone. Look forward to being 